Hello and welcome and happy new year. It's January, 2022. Can you even believe this, Dan? You know, Gwen, to be honest, I cannot believe it. And perhaps our listeners can join us in making a wish. Please let 2022 be much, much better than 2021. There's a running joke already that 2022 is 2020 and then comma T-O-O, 2022. (laughs) Or I keep thinking of it as 2020 and then the numeral, the Roman numerals too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, like, wait till you see the sequel and the action figures and the t-shirts and all the spinoffs. It's great. Let's let's just keep it going for as long as we can. I know that's that seems to be uh, what's happening. So anyway, uh, for the love of everything that's good, please let things start getting better. I think it will. I'm optimistic. Are you? I'm optimistic. Uh, cautiously, Gwen. I don't want yeah. to be flat out optimistic anymore. Just, yeah. just optimistic. I know. I hear you. I hear you. Qualifications. Yeah. Yeah. Qualified optimism. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. Dan, um, you had a bit of a health scare recently, but you're back and we're just so glad. When I had a very, very health scare indeed, and a great big thank you, seriously, to you, Gwen, for all the support you showed during that. I spent nine, oh, days, in the hosp- so nine days in the hospital. Oh, Yikes. Yeah. Um, as you can imagine, being in the hospital, you're also worried about Omicron and all that. So thank goodness that didn't happen. I'm very yeah. grateful to be out of there and back on the job and so back on and so glad to be back on the air doing this podcast. I really mean it. It's, it's, it's great to be back. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really sounds like it was just awful and terrifying. So, you know, we're just so, so thrilled you're recovered. You're back in the saddle. And yes. Yes. We can, to stay uh, on the saddle. Yeah. Stay on that saddle. Horsey is <laughs> going every which way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nine days is, is a long time. It's um, too long. To be One in the day hospital, is too so. long. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're really glad to, um, to get back to doing everything we do, which uh, includes, of course, the UC Santa Cruz News Roundup podcast, where we talk about the latest news and research from UC Santa Cruz. Let's get to it. Let's do it. In this first episode of 2022, we'll be talking about an incredible story about a connection over coffee that changed two people's lives. UC Santa Cruz's green accolades the effect of a rainy weekend on controlling coronavirus, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Gwen jordan and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News. I'm your other co-host, I'm Dan White. I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz News. And just a reminder that you can read more about these stories and find a lot more at our website, news.ucsc.edu. All right, let's dive in. This is, an, like I said, an incredible story, a heartwarming story, and um, just so uplifting. A former NFL player and a homeless man were both lost in their own ways when they found each other. The football player, who was an ex-linebacker for the Detroit Lions, his name is Zach Follett, felt he was slipping into a lifestyle he didn't like, and he was fasting and reading the Bible to try to find a new path for himself. The homeless man, Tommy Alejandres, was addicted to meth and was full of despair. He had no shelter, no food, not even a pair of shoes. 
their meeting on a busy street corner in Fresno would change their lives. Alejandras would get sober, go to community college, and end up winning a $20,000 Carl Piester Leadership Opportunity Award at UC Santa Cruz, where he's now majoring in sociology and Latin American and Latino studies. Follette would start a coffee ministry at a homeless encampment and discover he could fight his own depression by service to others. Their story would eventually be told on national TV. When this sounds like an incredible connection, how did they even end up meeting? I know, it's so unlikely. Well, seven years ago, Follette was driving to the coffee shop he owned in Fresno called Cup of Joy. Follette was forced out of football by injury and he was suffering from depression. He was struck by the message on a sign Alejandro's was holding. And later he went back with coffee to sit and talk with Alejandro's. He took Alejandro's to buy clothes and food and then dropped him back where they'd met, letting Alejandro's know where he could find him. Later, Alejandro's got into rehab and enrolled at Cabrillo College. When he let Follette know about these developments, that he was now sober and he was in college, Follette sent Alejandro's a laptop to help him with his studies. Alejandro's applied to several UC campuses, and he was accepted by UC Berkeley, UC San Diego, UC Davis, all fine schools, as well as UC Santa Cruz, and he ended up choosing UC Santa Cruz, which not only offered him the prestigious Peaster Scholarship, but also housing where he could take care of his father, who was ill. Follette, meanwhile, also couldn't forget those few hours with Alejandra's. Not only had Alejandra's story touched him, but also he'd seen how people looked away rather than meet a homeless person's eyes, turning Alejandra's effectively invisible. He began taking 10 gallons of coffee and hot chocolate to a homeless encampment in Fresno each Wednesday with the idea that like Alejandro's, those without houses deserve to be seen and listened to. He also discovered that serving others combated his depression. Wow, Gwen. So this friendship really turned out to be transformational for both of them, it sounds like. Exactly. What a story, right? And we're just so wishing both Tommy and Zach the best. And you know, Gwen, it's a great reminder to let people be seen people who have less than we do, who uh, may not be as fortunate in terms of their housing and their, their personal circumstances, it's always important to acknowledge them and to greet mm-hmm. them and to let them be seen. So yeah. rules to live by. Definitely. All right, uh, in more positive news, Princeton Review recently ranked UC Santa Cruz as the number three green college in the nation which makes sense, given our longstanding commitment to environmental stewardship and sustainability. Yes, it does make sense because UC Santa Cruz has environmental stewardship in its DNA. I know. But still, it's great to hear how the campus is focusing on its own actions and teaching students about how to protect the environment. So how did we end up winning this prestigious accolade? Princeton Review evaluates schools based on institutional data, as well as a 10-question student survey that focuses on whether students have a quality of life that is healthy and sustainable, how well a school prepares students for jobs in a green economy, and whether the school's policies are environmentally responsible. Nearly 840 schools were reviewed for the 12th annual Green Colleges list. Guided by its current campus sustainability plan, UC Santa Cruz is advancing its green practices by focusing on four areas. 
learning and culture, materials management and food systems, natural environment and infrastructure, and climate and energy. Each area includes specific goals, strategies, and actions to help move the campus forward. We made major advances toward meeting the system-wide 2025 carbon neutrality goal. That's the whole UC system. That's what it means by system-wide. Um, we made major advances toward meeting that uh, carbon neutrality goal last year with our new two megawatt solar parking canopy at the East Remote parking lot. I'm sure you've seen it, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I noticed that, it's funny, I noticed it only recently for some yeah. reason. I was so impressed by the scale of that. I yeah, thought, it's big. be saving and generating so much energy with that whole infrastructure. Yeah. Well, the array will generate enough energy to meet about 6% of the total campus electrical load. So it is very, you know, very impressive. a good chunk. Yeah. And then the campus is looking um, at opportunities for solar in other places as well. The campus also continued to make strides in its efforts to use alternative transportation methods and support the use of electric vehicles in 2020. Almost half of UCSC employees use alternative community methods to get to work. That's a pretty amazing stat, I would say. Half, that's, yeah. that's all those professors you see put putting up the hill on either electric bikes or regular bikes. I mean, and that, mm. that's commitment, Gwen, that is quite a hill. It is. <laughs> it's if a, you don't live there, if it's, you, if a, it's a bit of a lung buster, yeah. indeed. I've done it a couple times. Yeah, I think I did it once, and um, <laughs> yeah. that was that was great. And yeah, there's other methods that people use, whether it's um, walking, busing, carpooling. So um, anyway, those two things are just a small part of everything the campus is doing. So the honor is super well deserved. Sure is. Yeah. We'll be right back. Hello, Banana Slug alumni. This is Diana Hogue in the UC Santa Cruz Alumni Office, where we are currently planning for Alumni Week 2022, and it is going to be a blast. We're lining up a ton of fun events, and they're going to be wherever you want to be online, on campus, and in town. So mark your calendars for April 19th through the 24th, 2022, and keep an eye on your inbox for more information in the coming weeks. And get out your party shoes, or your hiking boots, or your flip-flops, or fire up your Zoom connection for a great alumni week celebrating alumni voices this April. We'll see you there, on screen or on scene. And for more about environmental stewardship work happening on campus, there's a program at UCSC that you may never have heard of, Dan, despite the UCSC expert that you are. Impossible. Okay, try, let's see. Let's just see. try to stump me. Try. Let us see. Okay, it's called the Amamutsen Relearning Program. What? Okay. <laughs> um, Gwen, you're right. I have... No idea what that is. Oh, really? And, okay. Know, this is weird because I pride myself on kind of trying to be a UCSC insider. So I'll tell you this. If I haven't heard of this, my wild guess would be that others who are not as close to Santa Cruz definitely must not have heard of it. So please tell me, Gwen, what is it? <laughs> okay. Um, 
long thought of incorrectly as hunter-gatherers, the California indigenous tribe, the Amamutsun, were actually careful tenders of the land. UC Santa Cruz's Arboretum and Botanic Garden honors this heritage in a 40-acre garden filled with native plants. The Amamutsun Relearning Program, founded in 2009, gives tribal members and university students a chance to get up close to plants the ancestors interacted with regularly. The relearning program presents educational gatherings about everything from how to make acorn mush to how to turn grass seed into foods and make fires, according to Rick Flores, the program's steward and a UC Santa Cruz alum. While most events have been suspended, unfortunately, since the pandemic, Flores has continued to give lectures through Zoom, offer tours to undergraduates and community organizations, and assist with connecting faculty to the tribe. He hopes to start up on-site programs again this, this spring or summer. Plants in the garden came from a list given to the Arboretum by the Amamutsun. Tribe members selected plants that are culturally important, such as white root sedge and deer grass, which were used to make watertight cooking baskets. Tribe members are invited to tend or harvest as they like. There's a lot more on this terrific program in our story on it on at uh, news.ucsc.edu, but um, there's there's more than we can talk about here in our in the time that we have, Dan. But it's just a fascinating program and oh, a wonderful thing that they're is. they're connecting with the tribe in that way. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I love practical workshops like this. I've done some things like this, Gwen, and if you get into it, you can just become completely wrapped up. There are people there who can learn how to show you how to make fires and food on the fly, just from material you, you find from the land around you, you know, yeah, plants amazing. and also the rocks. And I actually did this once. I went out to some areas quite close to UCSC with a master survival skills guy named Robin Bliss Wagner. And we actually made a delicious salad just from herbs and wild plants we plucked off the ground. When. Wow. <laughs> but you know what's really cool is that sometimes these reskilling programs get tagged with the name primitive skills, which always makes me a wince because the fact of the matter is that the technologies that indigenous people had were just amazing. So I really like the respect here and the fact that the program engages with land and heritage and ancestry. Yeah. So it's reskilling, but it gives it another whole layer of, of meaning when you're engaging with, with Amamatsun. I think yeah. that it's just great that that's happening. I know. I just, yeah. I love it. Anyway, uh, that's it for me. What's on your news radar, Dan? Well, uh, Gwen, uh, there has been a lot of uncertainty and concern, as you know, over the Omicron variant. It's yeah. nice to read good news, any kind of news that relates to the COVID <laughs> pandemic, even tangentially, Right. So mm -hmm. it makes me really happy to talk about an unusual new report that showed strong evidence that earlier social distancing had strong economic benefits aside from keeping people safe. And it's just, it's a fascinating situation, Gwen. I got to tell you, it kind of turned my head around because this forced me to look at this in a different way. Now, as it turns out, the first week before the first stay-at-home issues were ordered across the U.S., and I don't remember this, but there just so happened to be a period of real soggy, rainy weather in various parts of the country. And that made people, of course, second guess or reconsider their plans to go out and it made them want to stay home. So in a sense, people were kind of socially distancing in counties across the United States that were getting inundated with rain and, of course, would later get inundated with COVID. Health data shows that the decision to stay home because of the rain might have saved a lot of people's lives uh, who knew? Really? Um, God, how interesting. So 
this does sound like an unusual study and I can see how staying home would have saved lives, but, but like, how did they calculate the economic impacts? That for me is the exciting part <laughs> of the story. That's what turned my head around because this new research, by the way, it was published in the Journal of Health Economics, suggests that all that nasty rainy weather caused a 1% decrease in the population deciding to leave home on the weekend before lockdown. And that little seemingly small decrease likely slowed the spread of the virus enough to create an average of up to $132 of benefit per county resident within two weeks. Why? Because it avoided those people dying so they could earn wages. They didn't get sick, they didn't die, so they remained in the working pool. I mean, it's, it, it's, I never thought of it that way. But yeah. based on those findings, the results of the prior studies, the papers, the papers authors estimate that starting initial pandemic lockdowns two days earlier could have generated as much as $198 to $264 worth of benefit per person within two weeks compared to an estimated average cost of $2 to $14 per person in additional lost wages. So really, the interesting thing about this has to do with policy as well as money and saving lives, because when it comes to implementing lockdowns, I mean, this is just my interpretation, Gwen, but I think this shows that having a faster, decisive decision-making process regarding lockdown and stay-at-home orders really pays off. And it pays off a lot more than a wait and see approach, according to associate professor of economics, AJ Shinoy, lead author of this, it's this new paper. So it's a kind of given that staying at home has had health benefits in the time of coronavirus and uh, economic benefits just because people are protecting themselves and avoiding exposure. So does this, um, in a sense, add more credibility to health officials and leaders who are considering future stay-at-home orders, do you think? I think it should, Gwen. I think it should, because what makes the paper unique is that it shows that quicker action, in other words, immediate orders to stay home, had this direct benefit, hmm. like this cause and effect benefit that, that is undeniable. And it kind of runs against the argument that a lot of people have made, as you know, really against stay-at-home orders causing all kinds of economic problems. And as you know, too, you've had people getting really angry about this, talking about the economic devastation of those orders because of stress on businesses, et cetera. But the researchers are approaching it from a whole different perspective saying, well, avoid the sickness and death because you're staying at home. And then there's not gonna be a precipitous drop obviously in the household income. And to be honest, it's, it's something that I had never thought about until I read about it in our own news center and the research center, the research team does believe their findings may offer a form of large-scale validation for the economic merits of quicker social distancing implementation. I wouldn't be surprised, Gwen, if this becomes a talk for some of those people. And I've got another unlikely, unlikely piece of news that may surprise you. And this, this is so weird that you may need a moment here, Gwen. I needed a moment. <laughs> this was like, okay. wait a minute. This is like I, five steps ahead of me. Researchers, because <laughs> it didn't seem to make sense. Now get this. Researchers recovered an ancient mammoth tusk what? in the very, very last place on earth where you'd think these things would be lying around where you, or when one would stumble upon them. And that, Gwen, was in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> What? Like a mammoth went swimming? You know, that part is weird. It's just because, you know, the way that the the oceans kind of moved around. Talking like, you know, eons ago. I I know that, you know, oceans and habitats and landforms have changed so much over the years. I mean, 
Gwen, as a local resident, you know that we have sand hills up in you know the Felton area where you can go there and you can find shells now. And you're like, wow, the right. ocean used to be up there. And, uh, and yeah, and there, yeah, there are like shark teeth in South <laughs> Valley, which is like way up there. So okay, I don't know. yeah, like you know, the, the stuffs like to move around. You know, now this research team from UC Santa Cruz and the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute and the University of Michigan are now studying this test, which get this, may well be <laughs> the best preserved ancient mammoth test re recovered in North America. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, d I guess that makes sense. It's in salt water. Does that? Anyway, um, this is just, <laughs> this is so strange. A mammoth of the deep. How do they even like find this thing? Like it probably, it seems like it'd be too deep for someone scuba diving. To correct, see. Correct. I mean, there, there must've been like somebody in a, in a submarine yeah looking around on the ocean floor you're really close Gwen because actually the the tusk was found during a deep sea expedition using one of those remotely operated vehicles called an ROV remotely operated <laughs> there uh, they are underwater machines that roam around the ocean without anyone inside them so back in 2019 the ROV pilot as they said it, the operator Randy Prickett and scientist Stephen Haddock nice oceanic name, made a peculiar observation while exploring an underwater mountain known as a seamount 10,000 feet below the surface and 185 miles offshore from California. The researchers spotted what looked like an elephant uh, tusk. And since they were using an ROV, they only could pick a small piece out at a time. But the scientists returned to the scene in July 2021 20, to re retrieve the complete specimen. Uh, the researchers have confirmed the tusk which is over three feet long, is from a species of mammoth known as the Colombian mammoth, which inhabited the Americas as far north as North America. And by the way, Gwen, this, this particular creature supposedly weighed 20,000 pounds and was 14 feet tall. Oh my God. <laughs> and That's the, huge. you're probably wondering how old this thing was. I mean, this thing is mighty old. Dating of the tusk was being done by the UC Santa Cruz Geochronology Lab, led by Terrence Blackburn, associate professor of earth and planetary sciences. And he analyzed radioisotopes to show that the tusk is much more than a hundred thousand years old, hundred thousand years old lying around oh. in the water. Gwen. Oh my God. <laughs> um, that's, that's so old, but um, I mean, it's been sitting around in like, you know, on the ocean floor in the middle of the ocean for thousands of years. Like why, how is it so, why, I mean, does salt water preserve it? Why didn't it disintegrate many years ago or just like get eaten by little creatures or fish? Yeah, I had the same question, Gwen. So as it turns out, like how does a bone survive when I think would be the worst place ever for a bone from a <laughs> preservation standpoint? I mean, but the researchers said that the cold, it was really the cold high pressure environment oh. of the deep that really preserved the tusk and give, gave the research the uh, opportunity to study it in greater detail. Researchers at the UC Santa Cruz Paleogenetics Genomics Lab, led by the mighty Beth Shapiro, mm -hmm. professor of ecology and evolutionary biology, feels like, she, I, I have a feeling, I mean, she knows an awful lot about mammoths, uh, plan to sequence the ancient DNA in the specimen, which could provide valuable insight about uh, how mammoths took over North America in what was surely, uh, you know, an example of just almost minimizing it Haddock said, you start to expect the unexpected <laughs> when exploring <laughs> the deep sea. But he said, I'm still stunned that we came upon the ancient tusk of a mammoth. 
Uh, our work examining this exciting discovery is just beginning and we look forward to sharing more information in the future. This is really important, uh, Shapiro said. Mammoth remains from continental North America are particularly rare. They're hard to find. And so we fix DNA from this tusk will go far to refine what we know about mammoths in this part of the world. Very exciting. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I can't wait to see what discoveries come out of this. Maybe it will upend our thinking on things, mammoths and ancient times. I don't know. But <laughs> I agree. And don't you just wonder what submarines, what weird stuff is out oh, there much right now that, that that a submarine will discover a few years from now and everyone will just be like, what? I know. Nope. The missing link. No, nope. oh just, my God, that's such bad yeah. science. I take it back. I didn't <laughs> say that. Not supposed to say missing link. There is just such, you know, uh, 19th not, century science. Aside from like discoveries of random things you wouldn't think, but there's just some very weird, weird, surreal creatures down there. Anyway, um, cool. Well, that's just fascinating discovery and um, great, great, great stuff coming out of UC Santa Cruz, as always. So that's all the news we had for you today, I think. Good as always to have you with us. We will be back soon with some more news next time. It's just great to be back on board, people, and just... uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. We missed you. We hope you missed us. And we will be with you soon. Exactly. And happy 2022. 